Now, you know that the world is in a bit of a mess. We built it, we broke it, and only we can fix it, says Professor Don Norman, the world-renowned former Apple VP and founder of the Design Lab, Design Lab at San Diego State University. He's a pioneer in applying user experience to designing products and services, and he argues that we need to use design thinking to tackle the big economic, social, technological, and climate-related problems facing us today, rather than just using design as a tool to make more stuff. His new book is called Design for a Better World, How to Create a Meaningful, Sustainable, and Humanity-Centered Future. Professor Don Norman is with us now. Hello. Hi. Good to, good to see you, yeah. or hear you. Yes, and you too. Thank you for your time today. The book begins with you looking out your window and reflecting about how much of your neighbourhood and your community, how much of our world is artificial. And what, what made that such a profound observation for you? Well, I'm known for uh, all my books on how to make things easier to use, mm. easier to understand. And yeah, that's important. But it doesn't change the world. And I was thinking... Here I am. I've retired five times. <laughs> I'm 87 years old. <laughs> I still have ideas and I want to get them out, but I want to make a difference in the world. And I tried to imagine what it is that I could do because um, many, many people have analyzed the problems, described the problems and said, here's a solution. But they didn't understand the real issue, which is not the technology, not all this climate stuff. It's the real issue is human behavior especially economics and politicians and, you know, the notion of power and profit. So as I started wondering about how I would address this issue, and I wanted to use the things I'm best at, which is I understand technology. Mm. I have two degrees in electrical engineering. I've been executive in uh, technology companies. But I also have a PhD in psychology, so I understand people. And trying to put it together, I was looking out the window I'm doing it right this very minute, mm-hmm. the same window. And I realized that although it looked natural and was wonderful, it was all artificial. Everything was built by people. And I I can look down and I see the wonderful uh, recreational area called Mission Bay in San Diego. And yeah. it used to be a swamp. I, I see, the, um, see a little nice lawn in front of me and palm trees. And we have birds and rabbits and coyotes and all sorts of, you know, hummingbirds and animals of all sorts. And I said, but wait a minute, this used to be a steep hill. They had to level it off and all these trees and all the plants are artificial in the sense that they were planted, which makes a good habitat for those animals. And so the more I thought about it, the more I said, the world has been designed by people, not designers, because it's been done for tens of thousands of years Mm. or longer by people, but who were trying to design and change the world either to their benefit or maybe their group's benefit. And, well, it was designed by people. Maybe people can design it to be a better world. And that's how it all started. And that's artificiality that extends beyond the physical things to a lot of the, the structures we live by, political and economic structures. Is, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I look out the window, I can see the mountains of Mexico. Well, the mountain is real, but the notion of Mexico versus the United States, <laughs> versus, of course, where that border is, that's artificial. All of our laws are artificial. You know, I like to point out the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are a really good lesson in history because they tell you what people used to do. Because you wouldn't have needed a commandment if people didn't do those behaviors. 
So laws actually are uh, <laughs> come to tell you what people do wrong because that's what a law is passed for, to stop people from doing wrong. You, you've often said you don't like to look backwards. Do you still feel that way at age 87, 20 books later, having taught thousands of students? Is that still your philosophy? Well, um, in the book, I point out that history is very important. And it's what's important is what you learn from history, among other things. So I don't look back at the past and say, oh, what a mistake I made, or oh, I did that wrong, or oh, I'm so embarrassed. Yeah, I, I made lots of mistakes. Yes, I was embarrassed. But I have to think about the future. And so I focus always on the future, only use the past where I can learn something from it. Doing something wrong or making a wrong decision isn't necessarily failure, right? It's often viewed that way. I wonder if that's part Actually, of the problem. Actually, I claim that failures are much more important than successes in learning. Mm. Because when you succeed at everything, you say, oh, how brilliant I am. You know, it may have just been luck. It may have just been that you had the right time or whatever. When you start failing, then you can start and say, what am I doing wrong? What do other people do that seems better? You write, yeah. that, you write that we don't repeat history, but we are shaped by it, by the sense there is only one way to live. Can you tell me a bit more about why history matters in this moment? Oh, absolutely. Because let's take, uh, there are simple ones, and I'll take economics, which is, believe it or not, relatively simple in this sense. Um, the laws of economics, which govern the way businesses all throughout the world operate, are basically based on profit. And we teach people that. I used to teach them. I've taught business school students about how we can make products that are effective and so on, when make, and people will be more willing to buy them. We talk about stickiness, how we can make a product that people wouldn't want to leave or give up, especially digital products. We talked all about... Um, the way we basically <laughs> trap people into using these things and we design things that are so wonderful, but that they only last a year or two. Mm. So, um, yeah, there's a there's a lot I can say about uh, why design is powerful and why design has been actually a tool of companies to make more money. And that's not what economics ought to be about. That's not what Adam Smith had in mind when he, as a father of economics, you know, pronounce his rules, he was afraid that it might get distorted in just the way it has been. Uh, people do what it takes to keep in power. In fact, CEOs of company don't do what's best for the company. They do what's best for their own profit, their own rewards, their own bonuses. So they can destroy a company in the process, but they get rewarded. And then they leave. And then the next person gets punished because, oh, the company is falling apart. Uh, it's we ought to be focused paper companies ought to worry about the quality of life and we ought to make things that enhance the quality of life and that doesn't mean you don't make a profit you need a profit to stay a business but it doesn't have to be an obscene profit and the goal should not be how can we move up on the stock market the goal should be how have we made a better life for citizens in well New Zealand or the world I'm reminded of that um the old story about the the fish in the water. How's the water today? What's water? Fish don't know that they're swimming in water because that's just what they have always experienced. And I wonder if the same is true of the economic structures and the, the world in which we live. And we, we don't necessarily see that there's another way. But actually, if we understand history, the way some of these theories developed, and I think you put it around the mid-1700s, we can see that there is another way. Yes, in fact, other countries 
uh, many other cultures have other ways. So each culture lives its life in its own way, which is sometimes very well suited for its life at that time. It's not necessarily suited well for today, but I could say that's true of maybe every single culture in the world, like take the United States, the, uh, you know, we are very rich and wealthy and we spend more money on healthcare than I think any other country in the world. And do we have the best healthcare? No, we don't. (laughs) I'm talking to Professor Don Norman, the world-renowned former Apple VP and founder of the Design Lab at San Diego State University. You write that modernity, technology and current forms of economic theory are impairments to a better life. Now, people probably understand technology and a bit of economic theory, which we've talked about, but how do you define modernity and and why is that at the centre of some of the challenges the world is facing? Well, modernity, if you will, is the spirit of living and um, inventing and creating that I grew up with. In fact, I went as an undergraduate. I was at MIT in the United States, and I learned how to make products. Uh, and we were all excited by all the new technologies coming down the road. And we we never actually thought about the people. We never actually thought about quality of life. Uh, we never thought about you know what we were doing to the world but we were so excited by doing these new things. And modernity is sort of the curse of, of, of new things. Yeah. And so it was, it was a period of time, so the, basically the, 19th, the 20th century from the early 1900s up, or maybe the late 1800s to the mid 1900s, where it, it, everything that was technology was wonderful. You know, Great Britain had a few... Uh, um, exhibitions, world exhibitions where people came in and showed off their technology and everybody tried to beat the British and um, we had the Chicago World's Fair which is the Americans attempt and it is good I mean the technology has been a great benefit but we never ever thought about the cost so I said no we should not be doing human centered design anymore it is humanity centered and the difference is The same basic philosophy, except we must think of the side effects. What economics calls externalities, externalities means when a company does something, the stuff that's external to the company, I can ignore. It's not part of what the company is doing. No, you can't ignore. It's those externalities that are destroying the world. Do you see optimistic signs. I mean, I, I feel like we talk to interview um, companies and founders all the time now where they say to us, hey, we're doing things differently. We've shifted our priorities. We're, um, you know, we have a different purpose than just making money. There are a lot of those companies out there now. Can you see a shift? Yes, I can. Uh, it, it does. <laughs> I, I, I happen to be an optimistic person because actually I have to be optimistic otherwise the world seems such a mess Hmm. but I see more and more companies coming and doing the right things now there was an interesting set of three different articles in today's Washington Post uh, one of the major papers in the United States one of the three major ones Um, and it was saying you know what people are going green that is people are doing really climate sensitive actions faster than anybody ever realized it would happen. But they're not doing it because they're, they want to save the world or save the climate. They're doing because, hey, you know, guess what? Electric-powered vehicles are more fun to drive, and they're more economical to, to maintain mm-hmm. than gasoline-powered uh, vehicles. 
And uh, electric cooking, well, the new induction in uh, cooking is really fantastic because you can't over, you could set the temperature exactly and it will hold it. And you don't have to worry about forgetting to turn off the burner because if there's nothing on the burner, it nothing happens. And uh, that all sorts of new things are so much superior. You save money if you use um, heat pumps to cool and heat your home. And uh, those are electric driven, electrically driven. Now we have to make sure we we generate the electricity in a, in a sensible way. But more and more companies are doing this. Com clothing companies are realizing that clothing or fashion is one of the largest causes of waste in the entire world. A huge percentage of clothes are never worn. They're thrown away without ever having been mm. worn. And uh, or sometimes in women's fashion, you're only allowed to wear it once. Well, so, okay, you can only wear it once. So give it back to us and we'll rent it out to somebody else who can use it once. Actually, that's what men do. <laughs> Those of us who occasionally have to wear tuxedos, right. <laughs> we go out and we rent it for the occasion and give it back and someone else rents it for the next time. Uh, so there are many, many ways that people are really coming to grips with these issues. Uh, there's something called the circular economy, which is an attempt to make sure that no, there is no waste now, that requires changing the way you work in your company, and there are companies doing this. What's your view of the emphasis on STEM in education, science, technology, engineering, and maths? It's a, it's a real push at the moment to get more kids interested in it and trained in it. Well, as someone who is educated in science, technology, engineering, and math, huh. I think it's the wrong approach. I think it's fundamentally wrong. What we end up with are specialists, people who are really good at what they do, but they're very narrow. They don't understand how the world works. They don't know how to piece things together. They don't take a global, larger point of view. And by first of all, by making those separate topics, science, which is different than engineering, which is different than mathematics, which is different than technology. Kind of interesting. I asked the Dean of Engineering, why what's the difference between technology and engineering? And I've never gotten a good answer, but um, the technology is basically what would get out there as products and engineering is what people do in their laboratories. But um, what we are missing is a human element. And that's what designers put in it. Now, who's, what field knows best about people? You think it might be psychology or sociology mm -hmm. or anthropology? No, because what we do in universities is we train specialists. So a psychologist doesn't understand people. They understand some small component of people. The same with all these other fields. When you want to know who knows best how people behave and what our people are about, go find a good novelist. Go to the literature <laughs> department. Yeah. Because you have they have to be good observers. They're writing these stories about order art, you know, fake people, fiction. And you have to believe it and you have to say, yeah. And they show how the person scratches the head and how the person bumbles around and how the person <laughs> does this and that and how they interact. And it, uh, That's what we need. We need more generalists, people who have looked at the large story. Now, actually, we need both because those specialties do give good knowledge. But in order to do anything meaningful, we have to combine the, the efforts of all these people. And I think that although there are several fields that do this, Design should could be the leader because design focuses not about productivity measures, not about cost, not about manufacturability or competition. 
Those are all important and necessary for a company, but designers focus upon people, designing things that people can use, can understand, will enjoy, get enjoyment out of life. That's what designers do. And that's why I think design could be so powerful because it's not the making of things that are what designers are good at. It's it's thinking. Yeah. Think, thinking beyond. In fact, my rule is do not solve the problem that anyone gives me because it's almost always the wrong problem. So I step <laughs> back and I say, why is that the problem? And I try to solve the underlying issues. Yeah, my wife, who is a designer, um, she says, don't come to me with solutions, come to me with problems. She says, if you come to me with a solution, uh, there's a good chance that you uh, have been solving the wrong thing. Yep. You know, that's what I say. Engineers and, and business people are really good at solving problems. But they they don't ever stop and say, is this the right problem? <laughs> Could we finish then with some principles of humanity-centered design? Because I'm sure if design is going to solve the world's problems, it will need to change in some ways. So, so how should we think about humanity-centered design, this new idea that you're putting forward? Well, those who know the, what I call human-centered design, the field I helped develop and have been teaching for some time, will see that these that humanity is simply the same thing expanded, but I'll give them to you. There are five principles. First, which is what we were just talking about, solve the core root issues, not just the problem as presented, because that's often the symptom, not the real issue. Second, you know, you have to focus on a system. Uh, we have to realize that things all connect each other and that we live in this world as part of this complex system. And so uh, when I use my air conditioner to cool my room, I put the heat that used to be in the room out to the out outside, to the atmosphere. And actually, I put more heat into the atmosphere than I took out of the room because nothing is perfectly efficient. Mm. On top of that, uh, there's some electric power plant someplace in, <laughs> in the country that's generating the electricity to, to power my air conditioner. And it produces heat into the atmosphere. And so what I do is I'm warming the atmosphere up, which requires me to use even more air conditioning. It's a system. Now, most people say, well, come on, this an air conditioner. It's just small and just my little house. Yeah. Well, you know, there are 3 billion air conditioners in, in the world. And that over a period of years is a tremendous amount of heat. But it's really hard for people to understand that, first of all, you have to look at the world. And second... It might take 10 years before the effect is felt. And that means also it might take 10 years to reverse it. It's very slow. So look at the whole system, the, the, the ecosystem of the world, the materials, all living things, the physical environment, because they all impact humanity and people. Third, take a long-term systems point of view, which is an expansion of the second point, recognizing that the interdependencies of the multiple parts are what causes the damaging parts to society. And then fourth, you know, we're dealing with people and human behavior, so we're never going to get it right. And it doesn't matter how expert you are on human behavior or on technology or on the, in the physical causes of the issues, you're not going to get it right. So go into saying, I'm going to do my best guess and I'm going to put it out and I'm going to observe how it works and whether it's actually doing its job and I'll come back and modify it and continually be modifying. So recognize that we have to do iterations. That is, we have to introduce something, see what happens, change it, make it better and better and better. 
And actually, even if we make something that's really good, then people will use it in ways we never expected. And so we have to modify it again to mm. take advantage of the new things people learned. And the last one, which is a colonist, anti-colonialist issue. Um, it used to be that the British ruled the world, and they ruled the world not because they were writers, but because they had the world's strongest navy. And they went out to, well, New Zealand. And they said, oh, it's unoccupied. How wonderful. And they came in and took it over. Well, lots of places uh, were already occupied. In fact, every place was already occupied, but the colonizing part parties always said no the united in the americas these just occupied by savages they're hard people and uh the same you know the indigenous tribes all over were not treated with respect even though they had lived there for thousands and thousands of years and when 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 the british came in or the americans came in the western world came in and said well, we can see how your living is not, not the way we do. You're not as good as we are. So we'll teach you how we do it. So here's what you should do. And they presented the solutions to these people. No, that doesn't work. Nobody has ever liked that to be told by some other foreign yeah. group what to do. And most, you know, we spent billions or even trillions of dollars in foreign aid. By we, I mean the whole world, um, the United Nations, the United States, uh, European Union, et cetera. And almost all of it is wasted. It doesn't work because we go in, the, say the United Nations goes in, yeah. says, oh, I see there's a problem in sewerage or sanitation or healthcare," And they bring in the experts who say, oh, yes, and here's the solution. Now, experts are expert and they present a solution that makes great sense, but it's going to cost uh, billions of dollars and it's going to take a decade or two. And they understand the issue, but they don't understand the people. They don't understand what people are capable of doing, and they don't understand what their true deeds are. And so these things fail. So my solution, and it's not just unique with me, is that we go in and we say, you know, there are 8 billion people in the world, and every place that has problems, there are intelligent people there who understand the problems and are trying hard to overcome them, but they lack resources. They may lack the specialized uh, knowledge that's required for some things like sanitation and healthcare. Uh, so what we should do is we should act as mentors and facilitators. And that's the last part of humanity-centered design, not to impose our beliefs upon others, but to help them, help them overcome the problems by themselves. And then they will accept it. Sounds pretty simple when you describe it, Don. Huh, it's very hard to do. <laughs> it's very nice to say we should go in and do what the people really want. But when you go in and talk to the people, everyone will have a different opinion. Yeah. And and worse, when you finally get agreement from the group and you go off and you do something and you come back to talk to the group, oops, it's a different group. Different people show up and here we go again. It's hard, but anything important is hard. If it weren't difficult, it wouldn't be a problem. What a pleasure. Professor Don Norman, former Apple VP and founder of the Design Lab at San Diego State University. His book is called Design for a Better World, How to Create a Meaningful, Sustainable and Humanity-Centered Future. Don, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. I enjoyed it.